electricity, a big idea that's inspired countless new ones. From powering the light bulb to virtually powering our entire lives. 30 years ago, State Street launched the Spider S&P 500 ETF, SPY. A big idea that inspired the world to invest differently. And still does. What can you do with SPY? Before investing, consider the funds, investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Visit SSGA.com for a prospectus containing this and other information. Read it carefully before investing. SPY is subject to risks similar to those of stocks. All ETFs are subject to risk, including possible loss of principal. Alps Distributors, Inc. Distributor. I'm Scott Wapner, and you're listening to CNBC's Halftime Report, the podcast, the most profitable hour of the trading day. We record this live weekdays at 12 Eastern. Listen in. Carl, thanks so much. Welcome to the Halftime Report. I'm Scott Wapner. Front and center this hour, the state of stocks. May is coming to a close. We debate what likely lies ahead for your money with the Investment Committee. Joining me for the hour today, Joe Terranova, Jenny Harrington, Jason Snipe, Anastasia Amoroso. We're all here at Post 9. And let's check the markets as we get going here. You'll see it hasn't been a pretty picture all day, at least at this point. Dow's down about 260. S&P's under some pressure. NASDAQ, very interesting to watch, too. There's the 10-year note yield. 366 is where we see that at this moment, just past 12 noon in the east. So, Joe, I think one of the big stories here... Yes, you can say, okay, jolts higher than expected. Now we're debating whether June is live and how live it might be. The debt ceiling vote is, is going to happen later today, obviously. But when you look at the rollover in some of the chip names from yesterday, mm-hmm. I'm looking at AMD right now is down 4.5%, right? Mm. NVIDIA was down a, a, a good bunch from where its high was yesterday. Marvell fell from its high yesterday. Um, are you watching that? What's the significance of what's happening there? Are we without, topping out? W- without question, uh, the technical formation that a lot of people will be identifying within the market, uh, th- that is primary right now. And those AI type of stocks uh, indicated yesterday that the potential for a near-term top is in place. I think there's no better stock to discuss than Avago Broadcom. Broadcom was up 13% yesterday at 9.45 in the morning. It ended up lower on the day. So when stocks go parabolic, and when you talk about Broadcom, you're not talking about an extreme valuation stock. You're not talking about AMD trading at 287 times or NVIDIA trading at 180 times. You're talking about Broadcom trading at 27 times, and it went parabolic yesterday. So if you lose that, And that has been the support of the market. That's been the reason for the appreciation in the market. Then you're going to be greeted with a tape like we have today. And the jilts figures, the pricing out of rate cuts, uh, the pricing in of a potential another 25 basis points, that gets elevated. I mean, Broadcom reports earnings tomorrow, by the way. You own it in in the Joe T. We've we've owned it since October of, of 2021. I believe this is an incredibly important report. We think that we've gotten through the AI earnings report. No, you have not. This is an underestimated AI play. This is a company that has significant exposure. They resolved their agreement with Apple in terms of 5G wireless uh, chips and radio frequency. They have significant exposure to Alphabet, which is increasing through their TPU program, the usage of Broadcom's chips. I think this is an incredibly important earnings report that we're going to get tomorrow. And the last point on that, from a risk-adjusted return basis, Mm -hmm. I think Avago is a better AI play than NVIDIA, 
then AMD. I'm looking to roll out of wow. AMD and to get into Avago, and that's personally. I want out of AMD and the extreme valuation. I want into Avago because I think this will keep me in the AI trade with a much smoother ride than you're going to get with NVIDIA and AMD. So AMD's up 40% month to date. Mm -hmm. Obviously, this is the final trading day of the month. Broadcom's up 28% month to date. Um, so they're, they're some of the best S&P 500 gainers. Jason Snipe, you have exposure around this space too. Yep. Are you getting a little nervous that the air is a little thin as we have gotten to the high top of the mountain here? Yeah, so I, th I think Joe makes a great point, and what I heard is risk on a risk-adjusted <laughs> basis, Avago, Broadcom um, is a better entry point than maybe NVIDIA is right now. Um, and I, 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 would, I would almost agree with that, with not even doing all the work that I need to do on Broadcom. Listen, the SMH is up 45% year-to-date. Uh, we know NVIDIA is up 164%. It's time for a breather. There's been some pullback today, today. You know, we, we've seen... <laughs> an out of stratosphere run over the last couple of weeks and months. So for me, I, I could totally see that. And, and honestly, we're looking at trimming some of these names at this stage. We'll likely do it before the end of the quarter. I mean, breather, you know, implies Anastasia that we've had, you know, we've had this dash, okay? And, and we've done well. Mm -hmm. we've, we've set all sorts of records in this dash, but now we're kind of exhausted. We need to sit down and rest. What Jason says implies that that's all it is, is a yeah. rest. And then we're going to be back ready at the starting line to get into another race. And these are the stocks that are going to take us higher and win us the medals. I, I think um, is that right? Both of those things are accurate, Sky, because it has been a dash. You know, if you think about, to Joe's point, why has the move been parabolic? Is because investors everywhere has been looking around and realizing they're not long tech enough. They're not long AI enough. And if you looked at the price action and the trade action last week, you've had hedge funds that were really adding to tech. You've got CTAs that are already long. You've got retail that was also starting to chase the tech trade. If you look at the call options, for example, on the NASDAQ, we've, we've broken some records there. So everybody's been trying to pile into this trade, and that's what contributed to this parabolic move. For that reason, I do think that we're poised for a breather. But Scott, I am fully on board with artificial intelligence. I think it is the largest commercial opportunity that we have today, but it does need a breather. And, you know, another point that Joe made is there's so many different ways to approach artificial intelligence. If you think about it, there is the picks and shovels of AI, and it's going to be your big tech companies like Microsoft, like Google. But guess what? They're going to significantly ramp up the CapEx, and that's going to benefit a whole slew of enablers, a whole slew of semiconductors. And it's not just the GPU units, it's the ASIC units, it's the, you know, data center chips, it's the networking chips. And so that's a tie that's going to lift a lot of boats, including networking equipment. So, you know, if we get a breather, if we get a pullback, then Scott, you know, I would be looking to add back to those names. And it is a race for several years to come. So, Jenny, Barclays is out today talking about how tech to Anastasia's point is not crowded, you know, relative to what you might think. Feels like everybody is in these stocks and, and has been in these stocks and riding these stocks. The fact of the matter is, is many people came into the beginning of the year severely underweight these stocks. Right. So they suggest because it's not crowded, they stay overweight and they say fear of missing out may have legs. It may. I think, I think it tells a bigger story this year, which is interesting. And this goes back to Jason's rest or plateau or however we want to think about it. But if we think about this year, 
It's been, you know, we talked about this last week. It's so bifurcated, right? You've got seven stocks that are up 44%. You've got 490, we're talking about the S&P. In the S&P, you've got 493 that are flat on the year. S&P on average is up 10%. It's just a weird, mixed up, dislocated year. I know going into the year, we were talking a lot about semis, right? And I was constantly saying, this is where you need to sift through. There's going to be winners and losers. You can't not own, you can't just say don't own semis, right? I was saying pick through, pick what you want to own, own something. And so I think that's kind of where we are, where like, you know, no, maybe collectively the space isn't crowded yet, but I think the top end, the top end of returners in the market is crowded. So like I don't like say I still don't like saying semis are crowded, but I think there's certain stocks that are crowded. And that gets into, you know, your desire to to decrease a couple positions and like bump up other ones. So there's just you know, and last week, you know what else we were talking about? We were talking about what's going to knock the wind out of NVIDIA, right? Who's going to sell it here? Who's going to make that decision to sell it? And I don't think it's really someone saying, hey, this isn't a great stock. I don't want to own it. But I think it's forced rebalancing. When you have a move that much, it might be 8% of your portfolio right now. It might be 7%. And you might have rules in your portfolio. Like I know Joe runs an equal well, an equal weighted um, or, ETF. Or you just look at like Josh Brown who we may look back at this moment and say, at least for the near term, that he top-ticked this thing when he took a quarter of his NVIDIA position off and revealed that on our show. Um, that wasn't because his position size was too big. Mm -hmm. This was looking at you know RSI and overbought and suggesting this thing has run so far in such a relatively short period of time that it's just prudent to take some money off the table, maybe anticipating the kind of role you're gonna get in some of these names. Now, it may be short-lived. Who knows? We'll, we'll, we'll see. But there are many motivations, I, I suppose, for, for how people think about the stock gains that they've had. Without question, the parabolic nature of the way that a lot of these stocks traded indicate that there could be a near-term top, and we'll, we'll understand if that's validated after Broadcom's earnings tomorrow. I also think the fact that it occurred early on a Monday, psychologically, if you think about it, Mondays, I always think of Mondays as the day in which investors throw in the towel, in particular retail investors. Why? Because they sit home all weekend, and in particular on a long holiday weekend, they study the market, they look at the gains, they see the, the astonishing gains that are occurring in the semiconductor industry related to generative AI. They look at NVIDIA and what do they say? They say first thing in the morning, okay, we're going in. If you're, if you're not there, it's almost in essence like you're short the semiconductor trade. And that's why on Mondays I generally am hesitant to initiate positions because you kind of have that psychological element that's in the market. And generally that psychological element is being fueled by emotion and that's the wrong trade to make. So let's bring in Brian Belsky, uh, who's joining us now. He's our halftime headliner today uh, from BMO, of course. It's good to see you. Thank you for being here. So as this, this month winds down, it's been a remarkable month in many ways, at least for part of the market. Others, unremarkable. But what lies ahead, do you think now? Well, it's a great question, and thank you so much for having us, Scott. You know, we have been inundated with the question uh, with respect to this concentration of performance, not just in AI, but in tech in particular. And I think the, the panel today has done a wonderful job kind of explaining what, is a what has occurred to date. I think where our work may be a little bit different in terms of less negativity, uh, especially uh, uh, with respect to what other strategists are saying about this concentrated performance is this. We looked at the top five 
um, stocks in terms of market cap. You know, when they perform at a rate of one plus standard deviation for five months in a row, I probably just lost you there with the math. Uh, but what happens I'm is sharper than you uh, think, longer Belsky. term. Keep going. <laughs> keep going. The, perf- <laughs> the performance longer term is actually quite positive. But here's the kicker, and I think here's what dovetails with what the panel's been saying, and I think what the market is saying as well. Over the next one to three months following this type of strong performance since 1990 in the period that has occurred, we usually see a very flat performance the one month following and kind of 1% performance in three months. But the kicker is 10% or more 12 months following. I think the bigger story, though, is this whole notion of narrowing of breath. Again, if you go back to 1990, there's been 12 periods in the market's history where we've seen six consecutive months of this type of declining breath and it kind of dovetails well with the concentration as well so the first one in three months very mixed but 12 months out up to the tune of seven to eight percent so what does this mean right what it means is uh, a couple of things I think number one it dis- it defines a stock pickers market Number two, I think what we're missing here is the psychological positive, not FOMO, but the psychological positive. It's, it's, oh, by the way, good that stocks go up. People are starting to feel better about equity investing. The the markets may have been overheated with this type of concentration, but it does not portend to negative performance longer term. And I think that's the biggest takeaway. So I want someone on, on the desk to opine on that. Anastasia, because we've had a lot of people come on and say it's too narrow. Breath yeah. is bad, right? That all these stocks at the top versus everything else at the bottom. You could point to a number of different statistics that um, accentuate that that story. What about Belsky says it's much ado about essentially nothing. What do you think? Look, I agree with Brian points here because, you know, first of all, if you have tech leadership, I think that tech leadership can broaden out into different parts of the market. Mm-hmm. And think about that's exactly what happened so far year to date because you had the mega caps that led out of the gate and the AI hype was focused on Microsoft, for example. But that clearly broadened out and semiconductors and networking equipment and all the other tech names have rallied. But if this economy does not actually fall apart and if we do have the Fed that pauses, then I am with Brian that I think other parts of the market can participate as well. I mean, one thing that I'm also now looking at is the cyclical straight. Everybody is out of it. Everybody's probably short cyclicals. Nobody wants to touch industrial materials energy. But I was just in uh, Hong Kong last week talking to a lot of the China-based investors, and they're so bearish on the Chinese market that maybe you want to be bullish. If you look at China growth, is disappointed so much that the government probably has no choice but to step in. And if they do, then energy, metals, and industrials, that cyclical trade can actually rebound. So I think, you know, it's not just about the breadth, but whether there's a catalyst for it to broaden out. And I see that catalyst being China. I mean, Brian, at some point you, you kind of need, if you're going to get to your target, let's say 4,300 or beyond, you are going to need some other areas of the market to come along, uh, aren't you? I mean, big question mark, question mark, right. question mark. I, I don't mm-hmm. know what the answer is. What, what do you think it is? Well, I think this research actually dovetails and is very consistent with our call. And our call is 4,300 is our base case. But as I've said on air and I've said in, in, in publications, I hope I'm wrong. Our bull case is 4,800. Um, and I think this allows the market some time to digest these gains, prove to the market, prove to investors that earnings are going to be okay. 
and then we see the next kind of liftoff. So you think about seasonality, and you think about how hopefully people are going to go on vacation this summer, and it's going to be kind of uh, choppy, and that's okay. It kind of sets the bar, I think, on a lower basis to really have liftoff in the fourth quarter and have this broader participation with respect to GARP, growth at a reasonable price, yield at a reasonable price, small mid-caps. I think we're seeing a generational opportunity in those names. And then finally, quality. So if you're looking at quality assets in the United States, it's tech stocks. And we've had three different tech rallies so far this year, Scott. January was the January effect, buying back stuff that they sold in 2022. Then you had the bank, the bank conundrum where investors took their money out of financials and bought big cap tech because they wanted exposure to the market. And then the AI craze. And so I'm not going to say that it's going to be sky's the limit on tech. I think it could cool down here a little bit. But that's going to give the market a little bit of an opportunity to adjust these gains and diversify on into other sectors. Do you think these AI plays are, to what you said, growth at a reasonable, reasonable price? Or have they gotten a little unreasonable? What do you think? Honestly, they've gotten a little unreasonable. And, uh, you know, we've been advising clients with core positions and the names that we own, uh, like NVIDIA and AMD, to pair back a little bit. Uh, especially when you're rebalancing portfolios on a monthly basis, you have to. You have to pair back, Scott. And I think that's prudent. Uh, you remember, these are names that we were wrong in last year and owned all the way down. And now they, thank, thank God, come back. But I think as an investor, you want to be smart. And when everybody's talking about it and everybody's talking about um, loving AI as much as they have been, uh, I think you need to kind of pare back a little bit. So I'm looking right now on the tape. Larry Fink of BlackRock says a recession is likely to be modest if we even have one. So if he's proven to be right, do you end up getting a rotation from these mega cap names which have carried the whole show? Or do you get money going into cyclical areas if you believe that a soft or no landing is, is, is possible from the cash pile that is still on the sideline? It's a great point. Uh, we were talking to someone this morning, a big client that has missed the entire move that is sitting on a lot of cash. And this is a traditional long only account. And we would say this, I think you're going to be seeing broader diversification um, across the majority of sectors, but really more again with the growth at a reasonable price, kind of both value, fundamental value and attractively valued growth stocks. And so, and also with respect to small and mid. So I do think we're going to see some cyclical trading, especially in the industrial space, where on an operating performance basis, return on equity, return on assets, return on invested capital is very positive. And so now we need to see those re stock returns come back in. I'm a little more squishy on energy because I think uh, from, from, a, from, a, from a commodity perspective, there's still some issues. I think the metals could be kind of interesting here, base metals, and we've been along gold for a year. So I think that's going to be part of where we're going to see some of the rotation cyclicals, but especially small cap in some parts of value. Markets all but priced out rate cuts. Have you priced them out as well? We have. Uh, you know, we, we've never been calling for a, a rate cut, and our great economics department has been saying that we're going to push it out even further. And I think given where the economy is solidified here, I think the Fed probably is not going to be cutting, and it doesn't need to cut. Let's just see how we can digest what's occurred over the last year or so. No. All right. Brian, thank you. We'll see you next week, I think, in person here. We look thank forward you. to that. But thanks for joining us today on your new note. Uh, digest a little bit about what's happened this month. So I want to bring up since we're talking about tech, we're talking about chips and Intel. 
They upgraded their guidance a little. Why are you laughing? I'm giving you some good news <laughs> for a change <laughs> in Intel. I appreciate it. They upgraded their guidance, right? They, they, uh, they see revenues at the, the high end of their range. They're speaking at a Cowan Tech Media and uh, Telecom TMT conference. What do we do with Intel here? Well, I think if you, it's the same as it's always been, right? If you have a lot of patience and don't mind holding on, here's what we know about chips, right? Whatever we're talking about, we need them all. It's kind of like energy, how they say, look, we need wind, we need solar, we need nuclear, we need fossil fuels. Same with chips. We need AMD, we need Intel, we need Broadcom, we need NVIDIA, we need everything. We need everything they've got. Well, wasn't, hasn't the debate been, like, do we need, not, not so literal, but do we need Intel? Because yeah. the street has decided that Intel was left behind. They was left behind, but they still produce an incredible amount of revenues because they make chips that are necessary to our everyday life. The only chips that we use are not just AI's, uh, sorry, are not just NVIDIA's AI chips, but everything we've got. Probably we all have Intel chips in whatever we're using here and whatever's servicing you know, us being on TV right now. Intel chips are everywhere. And it was interesting too, because yesterday morning, um, Jensen Wang actually praised Intel, and he said, "He said we've recently received the first test chips from the they, next generation process, quote, and the results unquote, look good. Look good. Yeah, so and they, they look, look good. good. Open to a partnership with Intel. Right. So I just think we need to remember that they make something that's necessary to our everyday life. They're going to get back to growth. They produce significant revenues. We just need this company. It, you shouldn't dismiss it, but you also should never expect that it's going to be a swing for the fences. It's never going to be an Nvidia-like return. The other thing we got to talk about." Joe and, and Jason, what? I oh, no, we're going to wait for that. <laughs> Just raised you up. I'm going to let you digest that. Advanced Auto Parts is not yet. We're not going to front run that. So just prepare yourself so mentally excited. for when that happens. Um, CrowdStrike and Salesforce. Yep. Jason and Joe. Joe, you own both. I do. So they're after the bell today in OT with earnings, right? Salesforce, 52-week high today. It's one of these, you know, AI beneficiaries. And you know that Benioff and company are going to say AI 3,000 times today on their call. They are, but I think a, a lot of the fundamental tailwinds that have begun to formulate within the last six months for this company, it's all about cost efficiency. No and that's really what it's been. And you have a lot of activists in the stock. Um, when I think about this company, I just wonder how long those activists stay. Are they really there for the long term? Do they begin uh, to go towards the exit now that they've been able to realize a strong return on the cost efficiency? Yep. CrowdStrike, what about that? CrowdStrike really, you know, the, the reason why I had added to that position was on a technical breakout. You finally got above the 200-day moving average, which you hadn't done for literally six months, above 137. It broke out above 140. Um, the stock has now has that strong technical momentum in addition to being included in the conversation for generative AI as a cybersecurity solution yesterday introducing the uh, assistant, the AI assistant, it's called Charlotte AI, which you'll be able to ask the question, how does my internal security look on my applications? And I'll be able to give you a strong reply. So Jason, you were a Salesforce guy, right? Yeah. Were you a, I can't remember, did you have Palo Alto? Or do you do have, do Palo, have, you Palo, do have Palo Alto, Alto well. and not CrowdStrike, right? Correct. So, so take me through what you think about Salesforce for our viewers who are watching that after the bell today, and then why Palo Alto over CrowdStrike. It's 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 outperformed CrowdStrike. Right. Not that CrowdStrike has has done bad by any stretch. Yeah, hundred percent. So for us on CRM, we traded it. We sold out of it last year. But I, I agree with a lot of the points that Joe just made about the year of efficiency. They they made an announcement that they were going to lay off 10% of the workforce earlier this year. Um, but I think what's really interesting about Salesforce is I believe they're moving from this acquisition cycle to an integration cycle. 
you know, they, they purchased um, Slack, you know, and that was an expensive acquisition uh, last year. I think that fully went through. Um, but, I, but I do think the activists have worked well, and I think that's, that's what's playing out in the stock year to date. Palo Alto, you know, another really strong quarter, up 80, uh, EPS was up 85%, revenue was up 25%, um, for profitable quarter in the last four. So I, I continue to like Palo Alto here over a crowd strike. I'm, I'm not throwing cold water on the AI thesis because I'm a believer in it, but let's understand something. You've had significant appreciation in a lot of these companies in an environment where the cost of capital has increased dramatically. Mm -hmm. So accessing the debt markets, it's not as easy anymore. I wouldn't be surprised to see a lot of these companies begin to do secondary offerings to raise some capital. Okay, so let's take a quick break. We'll come back, we'll do our chart of the day. I'm sure you can guess what it is because Jenny just mentioned it, or I did in anticipation of how badly Jenny was feeling today, which means that we will discuss it with her next. We'll find out what she's doing. Sometimes you got a good one, sometimes you don't. Back after this. Old Dominion Freight Line was built on keeping promises. With an industry-leading on-time delivery record and low claims rate, we keep promises better than any other LTL freight carrier because we treat every shipment like it's our most important one which means we do the little things right so that we can keep our promises and you can keep yours too. That's what drives us. To learn how OD can help your business keep its promises, visit odfl.com. Old Dominion, helping the world keep promises. B2B selling is tougher than ever, and we feel your pain. If you're struggling to close deals, consider giving LinkedIn Sales Navigator a shot. This sales intelligence platform helps professionals like you engage high-value customers, drive higher revenue, and increase sales performance. Sales Navigator also guides you in targeting the right buyers, highlights key signals such as job changes or which accounts you should prioritize, and uncovers hidden hot prospects so you can find those buyers that are most likely to convert. Fueled by LinkedIn's 1 billion member platform, Sales Navigator gives you the most up-to-date first-party data, enabling you to unlock conversations with the people that matter. Right now, you can try LinkedIn Sales Navigator and get a 60-day free trial at linkedin.com slash report. That is linkedin.com slash report for a 60-day free trial. Let LinkedIn Sales Navigator help you sell like a superstar today. Just go to linkedin.com slash report and get started. Okay, it's our chart of the day. We told you what it is already, and there it is. It's down 35%. Right. I'm guessing that's the worst day ever for this name. Well, it's so, one of the worst days ever for me. <laughs> so what do you do yeah. on a day like this, Jenny Harrington? So I think, you know, the one thing that makes it so much better is being on live TV and getting to talk about it. Ha ha. Um, you know, and for those of you who followed me, and I'm really sorry, when I, when I initially bought this, I went back to 2007 and looked at what happened to their earnings and revenues in a huge, long, sustained recession. And what I saw was that they actually grew, both the revenues and the earnings grew through the great financial crisis. So I thought, okay, even if we have a recession, these earnings should sustain at some level that easily covers that dividend. And it should have. I think we have a real management problem. And Scott, you asked me a month or two ago when we were talking about this, why is there such a big valuation gap between O'Reilly, AutoZone, and Advanced Auto? And I said, well, it's the management. They have a much worse management team. But I thought that that had been over discounted. And I think what I really screwed up on here was frankly not understanding how bad this management team is. Because AutoZone announced last week, they also had a little bit of revenue growth. Their margins were fine. Earnings were fine. 
advanced autos, margins were horrible and earnings were horrible because I think they were way, way, way too aggressive on pricing. And um, and so then they've, you know, not only did they do a bad job on earnings, but then they screw and alienate the shareholder base who's in there for the dividend, for the fact that two years ago they started this huge capital return policy where they're saying like, look, we've got really consistent cash flow. Even in, an, even in a recession, you know, people hold on to their cars longer. It's a pretty economically insensitive product line that we have. And that didn't play out at all. So what do I do from this point here? Well, I think the shares are oversold. And I, I would look at this and I'm like, why doesn't it just get taken private? I mean, it's clearly a decent business and a decent business line with, I think, a terrible management team. And so now my job is to minimize the loss for my clients. It's, it's going to be a loss, but I don't think down 35%. I don't think trading at $78 a share is rational. I think there are still earnings. The $6 that they guided to for the rest of the year, I'd imagine is trough earnings. You can look way back. The last time they earned that was in 2017. It's simply a bigger, better business than it was then. So if we assume $6 earnings, on an 80-ish dollar share price, you have a decent valuation. I think that's probably trough. There's still value here. So obviously I need to sell it because I run a dividend income portfolio, but I don't need to do that today. So I will sell it and I will replace it. Right, because they, they cut the dividend by 83% I know. a quarter. Sorry, I should have led with a, that. From $1.50. Yeah, which is really the terrible part, right? Like you had this whole shareholder base who was in it for that dividend, for the capital return, and now you've alienated them. So the growth buyers aren't going to buy it. The dividend players don't want to own it. So now you need to wait for the deep value kind of, um, you know, for that crowd to come in and say this thing's really distressed. Um, one other thing on this. Sure. I think people really worry about like, oh, my God, it cut its dividend. But if you own a portfolio of 30, 35 stocks and you're counting on that for the dividend yield, think of it as if you're managing a business. If you have a business and you have 30, 35 employees, one's going to quit on you every year. That is not insurmountable. You just hire a new one. So in this case, like, you don't really freak out. You know, thankfully, it was a reasonable size position. It wasn't that big. It wasn't that small. It's just average. So it stings. It's not derailing. So we fire Advanced Auto and we buy something new. Thankfully, I have something new teed up. I'm thinking that sometimes the worst days bring out the best in who I think our people are. And I really appreciate the honesty. Sometimes you just say, as Jenny said, I'm sorry for all of those who, who followed me. Sometimes they work. Sometimes they don't. Yep. But I know it's hard to come on live television and watch a stock that's down 35% yeah. because you know that people are ridiculing you here and saying this about you on Twitter there, yeah. and it doesn't matter. It's the honesty and being contrite about the picks that you've made, and we, we like lift you up when the picks are great, but sometimes they're not, and sometimes you gotta come face the music, so I appreciate that. My pleasure. I mean, we all know there's like real people out there you know, who listen to everything we say, and that, that's important. Yeah, all right, Bertha Coombs has the headlines for us. Hi, Bertha. Scott, thanks very much. Jury selection began today for a former resource officer who was on duty at Marjorie Stoneman Douglas High School during a 2018 mass shooting at that school. Scott Peterson is charged with seven counts of felony child neglect for remaining outside and failing to confront the shooter who killed 14 students and three staff members. Prosecutors say Peterson could have prevented at least four deaths and three injuries, but Peterson said he thought the shots were coming from outside of the building. U.S. Secretary of State Antony Blinken says it's, quote, regrettable China declined a meeting between the country's top defense officials. His comments came just one day after the Pentagon said a Chinese fighter jet carried out an unnecessarily aggressive maneuver near a U.S. military plane. Blinken said today it's important to keep regular and open lines of communication 
with Beijing. And Republican House Oversight Chair James Comer is moving forward with a vote to hold FBI Director Christopher Wray in criminal contempt. It comes after the FBI declined to hand over a document in the panel's investigation into the Biden family's business dealings. The FBI said it could not release the document because of Justice Department policy. Scott? All right, Bertha, thank you, Bertha Coombs. Up next, how the AI boom is playing out in the ETF market. Halftime back right after this. What does it mean to be rich? Is it having more stories to share or time to give? Is it being able to keep your loved ones close or travel somewhere far away? At Edward Jones, we believe the key to being rich is knowing what counts. Your dedicated financial advisor will take a comprehensive approach to your financial strategy to help support what truly matters to you. EdwardJones.com slash findyourrich. Edward Jones, member SIPC. Welcome back to Halftime. I'm Seema Modi with today's ETF Edge. Interest in AI spreading like wildfire. More and more ETF issuers are getting in on the game, rolling out new products that offer exposure to AI-centric companies. An especially timely endeavor after a number of tech stocks, including NVIDIA, rode the AI hype train to new highs last week. The chip giant topping $1 trillion in total market cap yesterday. Roundhill Investments just expanding its line of thematic offerings by launching a new AI ETF, ticker. Chat, C-H-A-T. So is the AI boom here to stay? Joining me now is Dave Mazza, Chief Strategy Officer at Roundhill Investments, and John Davi, CIO of Astoria Portfolio Advisors. Dave, your goal is to make this the first pure play generative AI product. Uh, what should investors know? Yeah, I think investors need to understand that generative AI really has the potential to be as ubiquitous as the internet itself or uh, iPhones. And it wasn't until the launch of ChatGBT where there was that killer app for AI, for generative AI in particular, and here we are, the fastest growing application to 100 million users. And that's one of the reasons why we launched the Chat ETF to provide pure play exposure to companies at the forefront of generative AI. John, do you foresee real appetite for a more targeted approach rather than exposure to the more watered-down ETFs that are centered around the mega-cap tech names? I mean, there is a new note from Goldman out today saying that AI could add $7 trillion to annual global GDP over the next 10 years. Yeah, I, I think there will be more product launches, but I, I do want to acknowledge that there are at least, you know, four or five ETFs that have the word artificial intelligence in the ETF name, and then there's you know, several others that actually give you exposure to, you know, a lot of the stocks that are in the, the chat ETF. So, um, you know, I think the last few years, it was all about disruptive technology, disruptive growth, and that was a big buzzword. And that's what people put in their ETF names. And now this year, and maybe in the years come, you're going to see, you know, more kind of AI as like the key buzzword that people launch products around. All right, Dave and John, thanks. Coming up at 1 p.m. Eastern, we will dig deeper into the AI craze. We'll also look at the overall ETF flows, which tells investors where money is going in the month of May and what is ahead for June. All ahead on ETFedge.cnbc.com. Scott, back to you. Okay. All right, Seema, thank you. That's Seema Modi. Up next, a few more earnings on our radar this week in the retail area. Plus, I'm going to show you retail stock at this very moment, down more than 10%. We'll tell you what it is, tell you the why, and we'll do it next. Welcome back. I want to show you Capri Holdings. That's the stock I was referencing uh, right before we went to break. Stock's down more than 10 percent. Uh, all this sort of happening in the last, you know, several moments or so. Um, they updated their guidance 
right? Or in, in, in part of their earnings report, obviously their guidance, they say department store, uh, they saw customers spending less. Coors, Michael Coors, mm-hmm. Versace. Yep. We're not talking low end. Jimmy Choo. We're talking high, high end. We're, we're talking weakness in the luxury brand. They say it's likely to remain soft through the summer. Don't disagree at all. I think the evidence is building. Uh, this, this is a stock that literally has been cut in half since February. You thought that it would be somewhat immune because of the exposure to luxury, but we're seeing Versace. They're, they're, they're citing weakness in the Versace brand. So that's where, you know, in general, I have this, this overall difficulty understanding if we see, as you said, the plateau in a lot of these AI stocks. You take away the market's umbrella. You can't tell me that it's not raining out because it is. So it sets up for Lulu, uh, which is tomorrow after the bell, which you own in Joe T. Since yes. we're, you know, we got Dollar General also, which I want to talk to you about in a moment. But since we're sort of segueing from the higher end, make you nervous about Lulu? Um, I, well, nervous, no. Cautious, yes. Um, do I expect much? Not really. Not after Foot Locker and after Nike. Obviously, footwear is in a challenge position. You need consumption to recover to Anastasia's point in China. They're not footwear focused. Yes, they have. But but that's part part of the story. Okay, so here's the story. The story is footwear. The story is direct to consumer. How much can direct to consumer really contribute, continue to grow? The story is international mix. Is, is, China, is Chinese consumption strong right now? No, it's not. They need it to be. So the stock has been falling back. Um, we're in at a good price, but not a great price relative to where we are now. It's falling back to the 200-day moving average. And overall, consumer discretionary, unless you're a home builder, Tesla or Amazon, it's in a very difficult position. Dollar General, by the way, hit a new 52-week low yesterday, another one which that we'll has, see tomorrow. Another one that has broken momentum. It's on the back of Target and BJ. Target's down 14% this month. BJ's is down 20% this month. You would think that the discounters would do well, uh, but in the case of Dollar General, again, the momentum's broken and you're not seeing the evidence that that's the case. Yeah, to the point about China, I think that's kind of the pillar to a lot of the retail story right now. I mean, if you think about high-end consumption, you know, that was supposed to rebound and perhaps China-driven, but that's not happening. I mean, you think about youth unemployment rate in China, for example, is 20%. And the story of the post-pandemic recovery is so different there than it is in the United States. We've got stimulus. We've got stock market gains. You know, we, we had this huge boost to household net worth. That's the exact opposite of what has happened in China. There's been household net worth destruction as a result of the pandemic and high unemployment rates. So where is this consumption boost going to come from? And the other thing, Joe and Scott, I was going to say, you know, what's happening with retail. You look at the performance of XRT, for example, that ETF has gone nowhere, and that's pure retail. But if you look at IYC, which is a consumer services ETF, that has gone somewhere, not tremendous, but it's certainly outperforming. And that tells you where consumers are spending and what they're prioritizing. It's not luxury, it's services. So on, on both of your points, on sort of the, the highest of high-end, uh, S-Day, Estee Lauder. Um, let's let's pull up a chart of that over a month, if we could. Let's say month to date. I mean, that stock's down 26 percent. Um, you know, if you look at the China story, you look at sort of higher end retail. Uh, that stock hasn't done well, and, and maybe that was sort of the first canary in the coal mine, so to speak, of 
you know, China travel retail has not bounced back to any degree that we thought was going to happen. You figured all these high-end brands are, are going to do better once the Chinese consumer starts to travel again as the economy has reopened, and you just haven't seen it. And then maybe domestic consumption is not what you expected it to be either. This is where the cost of capital matters. This is where the, the significant uh, appreciation in the cost of capital is not free anymore. It, it, it really challenges the consumer. And you could add, if you want to look at a chart, and again, it's, it's a holding in Joe T., but look at Ulta Beauty. If you could pull, pull up, up Ulta, you pull up that, pull, and up, pull up LVMH too. I mean, it's the same story. Ulta Beauty, Ulta Beauty is down over 25 percent here in the last several mm-hmm. weeks. Uh, and again, that was a stock that had strong momentum, both technically and fundamentally. But here's where things get a little bit complicated. Where it gets complicated is that not everything's moving in tandem, right? Either by share price or by the quality of their business. So you see these horrible stories, but then you see an Abercrombie report, right? And the expectations were so horrible for Abercrombie that they report like decent earnings by historical standards and the stock's up 30%. So I look at this and I start to salivate because all I know is that opportunity is being created. I don't think today's the day. It might take some time, but I go back to what Belsky said. And, and when you think, you know, they, there is going to be opportunity. We are going to need to enter areas that aren't already at stratospheric highs. So I think we're going to have an opportunity. I just don't know when. I, I don't disagree with that. Real Roach quick, uh, we got to go. Roadstrom's going to report this week. But just look at GM, look at Ford. You, you know, the consumer discretionary sector is clearly right now and not on goods. All right. Let's go. And uh, Mike Santoli joins us next with his midday word. Grade my trade. Send us your latest stock move and the investment committee will debate it and grade it. Email us at askhalftime at cnbc.com or tweet us hashtag grade my trade. with his midday word. What do you make of the chip rollover, so to speak? And some of these names from their highs yesterday, and it was a pretty steady roll. AMD, NVIDIA, Marvell, Broadcom. Yeah. I mean, it looked a little bit like just too much of a buying crescendo, very concentrated enthusiasm in a narrow group of names. Now, great outperformance since, uh, since March, too. So I don't think it's necessarily some kind of longer-term trend change, but uh, intraday reversals like we talked about at the close yesterday seemed like they were showing the market's hand a little bit uh, on the fact that we you know, used up a lot of that energy. Now, whether it uh, kind of broadens out from there, I think is the big question. You did have a lot of things line up today that should drive some kind of at least a routine pullback and the, the, the economically sensitive stuff, even though it hasn't participated to the upside, is also suffering again. You have this sort of slowdown feel feel out there. You know, if Goldilocks is neither hot nor uh, too hot nor too cold, we're almost not hot enough or cold enough right now to satisfy us both on the growth side and on the Fed side. Uh, so we've been through this before. Uh, we're through the debt ceiling, so we have to have something else to worry about. And now it's once again, is the Fed going to be tightening into a, uh, into a slow patch in the economy? So it seems like what the market is contending with. I'll just point out, uh, you know, the market's up from where the, the Fed funds rate was below 1%. So I'm not sure the next quarter percent is going to be the killer. We'll yeah, see. jobs report uh, on Friday, obviously, yeah. and then that leads into that next Fed meeting, which is uh, is probably more live than we expected that it, that it could be. Mike, thank you. We'll yeah. see you in a couple hours. Mike Santoli, join me on the closing bell, obviously. Grade my trade. Do it next.
All right, time for Grade My Trade. Let's do it first. Anastasia, you are up from Ralph, bought TAN, Invesco Solar, at 79 bucks in January. What should I do now? Look, I would give this trade a B, and I love the theme, first of all. Solar deployment is definitely accelerating, and the estimates for how much is going to deploy this year and next year is consistently being upgraded. And in fact, we're going to have more solar deployment in 2023 than oil in terms of investment. So that's, that's a great trend that's here to stay. But I have an issue, perhaps, with the TAN ETF itself, because if you look at the composition of it, 60% of that is in stocks that are outside of the U.S., and a big chunk of that is in China. We just talked about weakness in China. And if the Chinese government is going to come out and stimulate anything, I think they stimulate the consumer and not necessarily the industry. So I like the theme. I think for implementation, I would look at some select stock opportunities. All right. Jason Snipe, Carlos wants to know about United Health. Bought it at 518. Stock's below 492. Why? Yeah, stock is, it's been, the price action has been a little bit frustrating this year. It's down around 9% year to date. So for me, I think as it relates to United Healthcare, I think there's just been a preference for the device players in the market as procedural elective surgeries start to pick up and some of those volumes pick up. And I, but there's great drive, growth drivers with Optum and the managed care business. So I still like the stock here. All right. Jenny from Steve. I bought energy transfer at $11.45 for the dividend. What do you think? The share price could be kind of flat with maybe a little bit like three or four percent growth a year. This is really a well-timed question because I was at an energy midstream conference last week, actually saw the management team talk to them about this, and one of the things they said that differentiates them from their midstream peers is that they actually focus on growth. So that dividend is actually going to grow. It's 10% right now. If you know the 710 rule, every seven years, if you can grow something at 10%, it doubles. So you could just sit there and collect that 10% dividend every year and your investment's going to double every seven years. All right. Good stuff. We'll do final trades after this quick break. Are you following the Halftime Report podcast? What are you waiting for? Look for us in your favorite podcasting app. Follow the Halftime Podcast now. Monster closing bell show today, three o'clock Eastern time. Rick Reeder. BlackRock CIO of Global Fixed Income. We're going to get his read on the market, where he thinks rates are going, what the Fed is going to do, what it's not going to do, and everything else with Rick Reeder. By the way, Bill Miller the fourth, he joins us as well, too. He just recently acquired a majority stake in Miller Value Partners. We're going to talk to him about their portfolio. Dan Greenhouse, we got the debt limit vote at 3.30 Eastern time, so we're action-packed. Don't miss that. All right, let's do final trades. Anastasia, you are first. It's been a monster month in semiconductors, so I would like to take gains in that and rotate into the U.S. Treasuries. If the Fed does hike in June, that could spook the markets and raise the recession probabilities once again. So I'm sticking with IEF. All right. Jason Snipe. I like Medtronic here. We talked about procedural volume starting to pick up. They introduce a sleigh of new products. I like this name going forward. Okay. Joe T. Mark began the month at 119, now trading at 110. I think everyone that watches the show knows it's one of my favorite positions. You buy it here. Merck. What's it up year to date? Year to date, it's basically unchanged. Had a great year last year. Great year last year. It's, it's emblematic of the healthcare trade itself this year. And I think the environment is the right one uh, to go back into the name. All right. Jenny Harrington. All right. Another safe play to hide in corner and suck my thumb over. Williams Companies, a six and a quarter percent yield. It's the premier midstream natural gas player. And one of the things that drives the management nuts is that it trades relative to natural gas prices when it doesn't deserve to because it doesn't affect their business. All right. Good stuff. Thank you, everybody. I'll see you in closing bell. The exchange is right now. 
You've been listening to CNBC's Halftime Report, the podcast. You can always catch us live weekdays at 12 Eastern, only on CNBC. All opinions expressed by the Halftime Report participants are solely their opinions and do not reflect the opinions of CNBC, NBC Universal, their parent company or affiliates, and may have been previously disseminated by them on television, radio, internet, or another medium. You should not treat any opinion expressed on this podcast as a specific inducement to make a particular investment or follow a particular strategy, but only as an expression of an opinion. Such opinions are based upon information the Halftime Report participants consider reliable, but neither CNBC nor its affiliates and or subsidiaries warrant its completeness or accuracy, and it should not be relied upon as such. To view the full Halftime Report Disclaimer, please visit cnbc.com forward slash Halftime Report Disclaimer. People today can spend half their lives over 50. So it's good to be financially ready for what's important to you as you get older, like a family vacation. Or starting your dream business. Welcome to Connie's Coffee. How may I help you? AARP's trusted financial tools can help you plan for whatever your future holds. That's why the younger you are, the more you need AARP. Start planning today at aarp.org slash money tools.